Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp post Super Bowl. And although I said don't bet against Burrow, man, there at the very end. I mean, he held it in to the very end. And it just didn't happen. It was a close one. I, it was a lower scoring game, but I think it was really good. Everybody was close. And then the defensive lineman, I forget what the guy's name was, that with one giant arm stopped the running back. Had they got that extra yard? Might be a different story today, but yeah, uh, great game. You know, I'm happy for Matt Stafford. Yeah, he he's a guy that labored away. Like he's like a replanter in the sense of he labored away for a, a, what you know, 13 years or so down in uh, Detroit, and uh, really talented guy. Struggled, but finally got his ring. And so, congrats to Matt Stafford. And I think we're going to see Burrow back in action sometime. Oh yeah, we'll definitely see Burrow back in action. There's a lot of guys on the Rams that I like too, Whitworth and. I like Cooper Cup mm-hmm. and a lot of those guys. And so excited for them. You know, it's it's I'm glad that Los Angeles was able to buy their Super Bowl win. <laughs> After forsaking St. Louis and <laughs> downgrading the team and uh, illegally moving them. So I, I'm not happy for Kroenke. I'm happy for uh, Stafford. Yeah, well, there are some players that we're happy for, but we we move on with life and and continue on. Last episode, we talked about empathy in the character of a leader as we've been going through those five key factors. And so we're, we're jumping in today with a boot camp guest, a boots on the ground guest. And so, Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. We've got Tim Williams here with us. Tim, introduce yourself. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and where you're at. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am hailing from Mount Pleasant, Texas at Gladewater Baptist Church. I just started here back in December. This is my first pastorate. So I want to say, first of all, thank you for having me and thank you for the Replant Boot Camp and how well this resource can be used in our ministry. I grew up in Colorado, joined the Air Force after high school, did not grow up a Christian. I got saved when I was 25 and started to feel like God was calling me to ministry somehow. I, I didn't know really what that looked like. I didn't even know that a call was a thing. And so God's really done a work in my life over the past few years to just point me in the direction that that he has for me. And uh, to our surprise, my wife and I, we are here. And so I've been, you know, this is the typical church revitalization. I'm in the sound booth, but if behind me, I have all these flower arrangements that haven't been used for 50 years. And so, <laughs> but I didn't have time to clean them out in between remodeling the parsonage and everything else. So I got a 10 month old baby tomorrow. So I'm super excited for him. And I don't, so I used to be a huge football fan, but it's like when you move to East Texas, the rest of the world doesn't exist. And so I didn't even think about yesterday being the Super Bowl. And I got done remodeling. I was, I was working in the house after church 
and I went to Pizza Hut, and I sit down, and I'm like, why is there a football game on? It's February, and lo and behold, it was the Super Bowl, so who, who even won? I don't even know. The the Los Angeles Rams won in the kind of last minutes as a hard-fought battle between Los Angeles Rams and Cincinnati Bengals, and the, the fun part about that, as you watch, is Los Angeles Rams, I mean, spent... I mean, literally millions and millions and millions of dollars to get the team and the location and the facilities. And like the Bengals barely, like don't even have an indoor practice facility. (laughs) Man, I guess you can buy a Super Bowl. So there you go. Man, East Texas, that's a, that is a different part of Texas. I, I lived in deep south Corpus Christi and then the Dallas metro area. And you are in East Texas, which really is like the Piney Woods uh, area, I think. Some people call it that. And so uh, it's pretty part of state. It is. Yeah. And, you know, in comparison to where I'm from in Colorado, it's got its own beauty, right? I don't see the sunsets like I did in Colorado or the sunrises, but I don't have to deal with negative 20 degree weather either. Even though it's been freezing here lately, I feel like I live in the Midwest. It's crazy. Yeah. With the freezing, you actually, you're living in an, you were living in an RV because you're renovating the parsonage while you are a bivocational replanter and, and even potentially last time we talked, maybe trivocational replanter in the, in the middle of all of that in a funeral, you, your RV because of the freezing weather flooded. And so now you're in your in-laws guest bedroom, which I assume has motivated you to finish renovations in a rapid pace. Absolutely. That is all I'm counting on is getting this house done. This week we are moving in no matter what we, yes, it's been a disaster, but I'm thankful to at least have a roof over our head. I'll just settle on that. Good. Hey, well, Tim, what was the question that you have for us today on the boot camp? So I am at this point where I'm in a 150-year-old church uh, that has been the same for the last 40 plus years. And so I'm trying to figure out how to be more empathetic about change and how we can uh, attract younger folks and younger families without running the older folks off. I have church members that have been a member of the church for 88 years, and a, a good majority has been a member of the church for greater than 50 years. And they talk about wanting change, but are reluctant when it comes to change. And especially when we're talking about things like worship music, a coffee bar in the lobby, times of worship, and even going as far as, you know, I I don't want to come in my first six months and change the name of the church, but we're Gladewater Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, and Gladewater, Texas is just 45 minutes down the road. So it becomes a little bit confusing when, when I say I'm a pastor at Gladewater, people are thinking, why are you in Mount Pleasant? So how do I address these change uh, changes and be empathetic with the older folks who I understand change is difficult? Man, those are really, really good questions. And I wish we had like the silver bullet that we could send you in the mail that would help you with those. But what I heard in this question, Jimbo, was that there's a real awareness that change is and can be painful for older adults who haven't experienced a lot of change in the previous decades. And so, first of all, I just want to, I want to highlight that, that man, you, you've got an awareness of, I just can't go in here and start changing things, right? And you want to do it in such a way that is wise and good and and helpful. And you've identified some of the things that, that need to change. So, first of all, I just want to call that out and say, man, good job. Like, 
thank you for having that perspective. Some people uh, who go into replanted church, man, they just start changing everything right away and start ripping things out. And and I'm, I just want to say, man, that's that's a really good spot to be in where you see the, the potential cost of change. Well, that all came from more wise people than me. So I can't take the credit for that. I'm just following good counsel. But it was the biggest thing that was brought up was that if you, you can change anything about the face of the church, but if you if the heart of the church does not change, then when you change the face of the church, it just remains to be the same church. And so that's where I've been honing in for the last couple of months. A few things I would say with that is one, recognize, like Bob said, the, the fact that you're displaying one of the characteristics we list out for replanters called tactical patience, knowing that things have to have kind of a, a way that they go and a pace of, of change. The other thing I would say is, man, in Reclaiming Glory, Mark Clifton kind of describes a, a secret sauce of how to begin to pursue that multi-generation aspect that is needed in a replant or revitalization. It's not a quick, easy answer, but I'm convinced it is the best answer. And it really is just start discipling young men. And just as you can, as you can get a handful of young guys to come in and disciple them, they will bring an energy with them that you have as a young man that they can rival and they can do the hard work with you. They're also less picky about great programs or music or seating or design of the facilities if they believe in the cause that they're moving towards. And then eventually, if they're godly young men that are being discipled, some young lady's going to fall in love with them and they're going to get married and they're going to have babies. And that really is the best approach to helping a church become uh, multi-generational. Beyond that, what I'd say is, is kind of that understanding of how to have empathy in the midst of tactical patients as you're leading change amongst not just senior adults, but really amongst anybody. And there, there's kind of a predictable pattern that you'll find as you lead change that we're going to use a tool that we'll link or show in the show notes called the emotional cycle of change that Bob and I have come across recently that is really, it's research-based, it's intuitive. I actually presented this to a church here recently, Bob, and just this last week in and they, it really resonated with a group of senior adults that I was talking to. Great. And understanding that. That's great, man. Let's jump right in. What's the first step in the emotional cycle of change? So in the first stage of emotional cycle change is called uninformed optimism. This is that point where we don't really know a lot but we're kind of excited. This is when when you interview with the church and they say, we are excited for a new future. We're willing to do whatever it takes to change. This is that uninformed optimism that you find in a church that says they are ready to be revitalized or replanted. And just so you know, replanter, because Bob and I hear this often, we'll start to talk about the difficulties of change and they'll say, I understand that, but I met with our people and they told me, they told me, they said it. They're ready to change. They're, they're ready to make the changes. They're excited about it. They want a new future. And, and every time some replanter or revitalizer tells us that, they're convinced that they've, they've found the one dying church that really is ready for change. <laughs> and, and here's the deal, you didn't. You didn't find it. You didn't. <laughs> Absolutely, Jimbo. I mean, this is what was my experience totally. Like, I was affirmed with a 100% unanimous call. We started visiting the old people, the deacons. Everybody said, we wanted, we need to change. And then I went to the key deacon and his uh, wife, who was on the search committee, and uh, they said, we need to change. And I said, well, how would you go about uh, starting to 
you know, the process of change. And he goes, I just start changing stuff. Right. And so I was like, that's a mandate for me. Right. It's like, and so I, yeah, I started changing things. And the first thing I changed was the bulletin. And I love it. I've seen this before. And I think I even reposted it on Twitter. A pastor thinks he's going to change the world and then he gets fired for changing the bulletin. Right. So <laughs> I mean, you would have thought that I took the family Bible that was on the communion table, ripped it up and jumped on it during a service. I mean, that's that's changing the bulletin was that serious to some of those folks. It was crazy. Yeah. So here's the deal. In in order to move on, unfortunately, we have to move from a positive emotion of optimism into a couple of stages of a negative emotion of pessimism. And one of the one of the things that probably messed up there, Bob, is you got to communicate, man. You you cannot you cannot over communicate as you're making changes. Now, here's the problem. When we move from uninformed, so we haven't been communicated to, we're just looking towards the future, optimism, we're so excited. Now we get some information about what's going to actually change. And we it, once we are informed, we move from uninformed optimism to informed pessimism. And this is characterized by a shift to a negative emotional state. At this point, the benefits don't seem as real, important, or immediate, and the cost of the change become apparent. The same bulletin I've always had isn't there anymore. You didn't ask me if you were going to change it. You didn't tell me you were going to change it. You start to question if the change is really worth the effort, and you begin looking for reasons to abandon the effort. And I think a great parallel of all these stages, if you look at the Israelites or the Exodus, I mean, this was the Israelites at, at the point of every point of discomfort, right? Every, every time they hit trouble, it was like, what are we doing? Why, why, you know, it is always grumbling and complaining. And so you move from stage one, uninformed optimism to stage two, informed pessimism. Yeah. I remember our church was about 40 at the time that they called me and the schedule hadn't changed in oh probably you know twenty years in terms of like committee meetings and most of them served on like well, not just one committee but several so I took the committee meeting like calendar announcements out of the bulletin because man I was thinking if I'm visiting this church and I see like all of the committee meetings I'm not I'm leaving because I'm going to be put on a committee right so you know the church council was always like the first month and the deacons were always the second month etc right and so I was like man, they all know when these are. So I took them out and it was like chaos. They, when, when are the meetings? When are they going to happen? You've got to be kidding me. And then it turned into, well, I don't know, man, this pastor's changing too much. I think this is just, this is getting out of hand, right? So exactly. And I, communication is key, but here's what I also know. Everybody wants change until it has their address on it. Yep. Until it hits their doorstep. And here's what you don't know as a replanter. There are going to be some things that are like no-brainers to you and maybe a couple of others in the church. Yeah, we could change that. Well, they they agree to change because they're not invested in it. But somebody who's invested in that is, or finds security in whatever it is that you're changing, man, they're going to get pessimistic real quick. Well, this is just too much change, right? And it could be a little thing. It could be a small thing. But it's certainly a, a stage that you have to to follow through. Yeah, there's some serious battlegrounds. You know, Tim was talking about how he has the flowers behind him. Our boss, Mark Clifton, says, not every church with a flower room is a dying church, but every dying church has a flower room. And yes, at the church that I replanted had five flower rooms, and through lots of battle scars, we were able to reduce it down to one flower room. And I'll never forget 
when a new young person in our church saw the flower room and started to give me a hard time about the flower room. I was like, bro, you don't even know the battles I have been through to, to reduce this from five to one. Calm down. This is, we're going to be good. With one flower room, we're good. Like, I, I'm not fighting this battle anymore. So we move from informed pessimism to the third stage, which is where it gets really hard. It hasn't even gotten hard yet. The really hard stage beyond informed pessimism is the valley of despair. <laughs> the walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is when most people give up. All the pain of change is felt and the benefits seem really far away or even less important. And and here's the deal. This is the reality. There's a fast, easy way to end that discomfort. Let's just go back to the way we used to do things. Mm -hmm. After all, it really wasn't that bad. Uh, this is where that emotion starts to really come up. And like the Israelites, you know, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? At least we had three hots and a cot. Like we, we, we knew it was coming up, right? And it was a, it was a bad day, but we knew what the day was going to be. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as it is right now. And so the valley of despair is usually when everybody quits. Mm -hmm. And organizationally, systematically, I would say this is probably about year three as you're leading in a replant. Absolutely. This is the stage where you don't want to attend the church that you're pastoring and the people don't want to attend the church that you pastor, right? It's like everybody's like, man, this is not what we signed up for and this is hard and it's a real deal. And and it does hit about year three. I mean, it, for us, it hit year three, I think Jimbo for you. And I've got a real good friend right now who's replanting here in St. Louis and he's right in the midst of year three. And this is the stage that I think you hit the double dip, right? What I call the double dip. The there's a first dip, but when you start change, uh, when when the new pastor's called, sometimes there are people who, for whatever reason, they're just, you know, they were fond of the old guy or it was time for them to move on. And the new guy, you're not quite what they they had maybe wanted or envisioned. And so you'll you'll see a few folks just move on. And that just, that happens all the time. But the double dip, the next dip comes from when you start leading, you, you pass that first year into that second year and you start leading and some things start changing. And then you hit that third year and then people have just had enough, right? And they're just like, and, and they quit. People do give up in the valley uh, of uh, despair. And so uh, why well, just go back to the scripture that you mentioned, right? I think Psalm 23 is though I walk through the valley of the, and here's the key word, the shadow of death, right? The shadow is not real. It's present and you feel it and you see it, but it's it's not real. So I remember as a kid, when I would be afraid at night, I would see some sort of shadow on my wall because I slept with a nightlight and I would I would imagine all of the bad things that was, right? It wasn't real. It, but it scared me nonetheless. And so I, I think there's a church there are church members, there are replanters that are just frightened about this stage. And I think what we just need to say is, man, this is inevitable. And it is also endurable if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus and the mission. Here's three tips I have for surviving the valley of despair and getting through it. One, know it's coming and communicate that it's coming. Don't don't sell your people on some rosy, perfect picture of this is all going to be great. Just be upfront with your people from the beginning. And this is why I presented this to a church this last week, is because we're consulting them to go, coaching them through a change process. And I wanted them to know, hey, you're excited right now, but there's going to come a moment where you're not excited. That's tip one, is just be aware of it and help others be aware of it. Tip number two is early on, figure out who your true mission-minded early adopters are of the vision and 
go ahead and encourage them to build relationships with people who are going to really struggle in the Valley of Despair and ask them to help you shepherd and, and help those people through the Valley of Despair. You can't do it on your own. You really need to have some other people with you, other church members, ones that are already bought in. And so that's tip two. Tip three is you have to have really clear mission clarity on where you're going and why you're going there. You can call that a vision statement, mission statement. You can call it whatever you want. That's what's going to help all of you get through the valley of despair is that you know where you're going, right? That the reason Moses continued to push on through those 40 years and in the Israelites is they knew they were going to the promised land. That's they kept going because they knew they were going to the promised land. And so there, there has to be clarity and reminders for everybody of why we're going to try to get through the valley of despair. Uh, and so if you can be clear with everybody on that, on where you're going, why you're going there, and that there will be a valley of despair, and then enlist early adopters to help you with anti-adopters along the way. And if you can do that, you'll move into the fourth phase, which is called informed optimism. Now we're finally back. Here's the most replanters. A lot of replanters do quit around year three or four, which is why we always encourage, man, five years minimum, at least get to informed optimism, get to the other side. Don't leave pastor in the middle of the valley of despair. Stick through, shepherd those people through that valley, get them to informed optimism. This is to me, in my mind, when I think about the Israelites, I think about the first Passover on the other side of the Jordan. So Moses has passed away. Joshua leads them across the Jordan and they have their first Passover in the promised land. Now, there's still a lot of battle to go. There's still a lot of work to do, but that had to be a pretty high moment for the Israelites, I think. Yeah, take advantage of those victories and celebrate them. Like celebrate even the small ones, the small victories that go along the way during church family business meetings or whatever. If you've had guests who have, you know, shown up and come back, celebrate that. If you redo the nursery and you know, it's, it's refreshed, then, you know, take a picture of it and put it on the screen. Make sure you highlight that. Make sure you highlight the landscaping, you know, man, whatever you're doing that is moving the church forward. And those are practical things, but ultimately you want to find those spiritual victories too to celebrate where God's been faithful, right? He's provided the resources. He's bringing people. You've got baptisms, you know, all of those sorts of things. Make sure you're celebrating all of those things because that just increases everybody's just their attitude and, and makes them optimistic. Hey, the church is coming back to life and things are, are, we can point back to it and say, look, God is working. Things are happening. Yeah. I mean, that honestly would be a great fourth tip for the value to spare the whole time. It's, it's so important to celebrate what you can celebrate. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth stage of the emotional cycle of change, which I don't know that we ever truly complete is the success and fulfillment, right? And, you know, this side of glory, we never cross that finish line. But what we can do is get a church to become a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that make the community noticeably better. That's success and fulfillment. That's how we define it. And in a healthy culture, 
of disciple making and missional involvement that's multi generational. Man, that's that's success and fulfillment. It's going to be a lot of work, Tim. Uh, this is not <laughs> this twenty minutes of advice won't be enough to get you there, but I think it's maybe enough to get you started. Tim, is that is that helpful? Is that along the direction of what you are asking, or is there anything you want to add or or clarify or ask? No, that's great. I think the part that will be difficult is when we get to the point of vision and, and crafting that and presenting that. But I feel like we're probably going to go like bounce back and forth between uninformed optimism to informed pessimism for a couple of times over the first period of time. And we're just going to kind of quit and repeat, quit and repeat until we get to the valley of despair. And as long as we can press through that, then all glory to God, we will, our 150 year, you know, year old church will see another day in the community. So thank you all so much for all that. Absolutely, man. We're glad to have you on here. We love having boots on the ground guests with us, and we may even have you back on one day. Man, keep us updated on how things are going in East Texas. And man, let us know when you finally get to sleep in your own bed in (laughs) the parsonage. Man, I'm praying for you to have that day soon. Oh, what a day that will be. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.